0: Welcome back, listeners, to another edition of Arts About Light Slash Summertime 2018. Welcome back, Swanee. You were gargling? I oh,
1: was. I didn't realise you'd pushed the button, Well, I was just prepping for the show there. As you know, I really like to work on my tomba. Tomba. That's a, a, a Latin
0: word for something, I think. No, it's right?
1: French. I, some people say timber, but the correct pronunciation, as you know, is tombois. Well, look, the main...
0: Point is that you and I are a skeleton crew. I think that's what they call us here. We're in a deserted
1: studio. We're filling in the gaps, keeping the arts of our show together if we can. Yes, together in a tin shed essentially, and some of this summer heat really makes it quite a chore, doesn't it? It is. It's like being cooked alive look we also have to apologize for the poor sound quality but it's not our fault under the mr fluffy program all the insulation has been removed from our poor little tin shed hasn't it will it has and we're just baking in here it's completely bare corrugated iron walls and very tinny and sort of reverby and that's why we're asking you for any of your old egg cartons... Egg cartons. Please bring them to the station. You know where the station is. Bring them to the front desk. We'd like to say cartons for Christmas, but Christmas is gone. Yeah, yeah we need... About, how many? A thousand? Probably about a thousand, so... That would be much appreciated.
0: And I know that normally in uh, Sally's show, and Sally and John and Mark are on holidays, of course, but at this point, John Baird normally... Uh, pipes up and says that the show
1: is a show about art that is a work of art in itself. Yes, and we can never guarantee that. Are they all on holidays together? I don't know if they go... It's not like the three stooges, but they could be together. Or like the three amigos, they all sleep in the same Yeah, thing. head to foot and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> they do. They tend to hang out together. Well, this, oh, I, I'd say the theme of this show, Will, is controversy. There's been a lot of it. There's a, there's a smattering of legal trouble. This uh, Hayricks of Hastings, remember that, the painting we dealt with in the first story? This was a McCubbin painting that
0: was discovered in an op shop in Rosebud, and there's been a large controversy
1: about it ever since. A controversy that's enveloped the NGV, various art experts, including our very own Dr. Gabe. She's away at the moment. She is, but we'll hear her words shortly. We're going to deal with that a little okay. bit, uh, later on. Tani uh, sent another email. Thank goodness you've got an email account, Will. And she says she misses the Peninsula summer. Tani was our fish machine
0: operator. What does she miss about the Peninsula? She, Not the jet skis buzzing about like march flies,
1: I suppose. Or the uh, straight through Harleys or barking dogs. I don't know. Our MO. M-O, that's right. That's what we we call it. We could give each other proper abbreviated uh,
0: code names. Well, we'll have to think that through, like we think everything through. Well, we
1: sit in this tin shed and our brains are cooking. We come up with some pretty crazy stuff, I can tell you. We've got to just have a quick mention. Our major show sponsor is the Kunming Marine Safety and Fireworks Company out there at Bang Home. And we should tell you what's on the show, Will. Remember in the first show again, we touched on men's clubs and all that sort of royal order of the bison and the squirrel or the raccoon. And J- Fred Flintstone and. Well, Jackie Gleason, the honeymooners, inspired the Flintstones. Yep. We've decided to look a bit further into the career of Jackie Gleason, who was quite an accomplished fellow, I can tell you. Well,
0: I'm glad we're doing that because I'm a Jackie Gleason fan. He was a wonderful actor and musician,
1: had his own orchestra, you know. He did, and he had his own best-selling albums that one of them holds the record for being the longest on the Billboard chart ever.
0: Goodness me. Yeah, it's yeah, longer it's than true. Elvis.
1: What else have we got on? We touch on the Rocket Squadron of Sorrento. And we're also taking a little side trip to a fellow called Harold Claymore that you've just now said we're going to have in the show. That's right. I've introduced him and we'll have more about him later on, I hope. Yes. And as promised, we're going to delve into that lost McCubbin. I might tell all our listeners who are a little concerned about our research facilities that we have, in fact, sourced a microfish. Is it mi- Can you pronounce that properly? A microfish. Microfish bulb in Munster, Germany, of all places. And it's being sent by registered mail, and it should be here any day now. So why don't we get on with the show with a little track? Let's press the button. The next time we'll give me a little warning, would you? Okay. Well, you know at the top we mentioned Jackie Gleason, and in show one we dealt in detail with all that men's club kahuna bison business. Like the water buffaloes and the raccoons? Well, we were inspired to look further into Jackie Gleason's career because he was quite a marvellous, talented man wasn't he he was and i'm glad we're going back to jackie gleason because it wasn't just
0: about the glorious order of the raccoons he was he was as you said a very talented
1: actor musician composer conductor he was a movie director he was a producer and he acted in some very serious dramas as well i might tell you But he kind of created that whole golden age of the sitcom with The Honeymooners. That was live in front of an audience, you realise, with just a single theatrical set. So it was like doing theatre, but they were doing it in front of the camera. And it went live to air. There was no rehearsal. It went live to air and live into the camera. So there's no bloopers or blunders or whatever. Can you imagine how talented they were covering up mistakes? Because I never saw any. It was a great show. It was, it was tight, as they say. And they were very clever actors. He was an innovator. He created that show. It began as sketches in cabaret act. And he developed that into a full-blown TV show. But do you know, Will, that he suggested that they film the Honeymooners on these things called electronicams? Now, you don't know about electronic hands, do you? I (laughs) don't. And you do look a bit surprised. They would record the live TV, but they would also put it onto quality film at the same time, so you would get a very good quality product Ah. at the end. That could be sold off to other broadcasters as a series? So it would transmit to people's TV sets, but also record onto very good quality film, The other style was a very scratchy, terrible sort of videotape thing that they had. Anyway, had a very tough early life, poor old Jackie. His dad went out for 20 Rothmans and never came back, the same old story. Grew up in New York, did it rough in the Bronx there, I believe. And his mum died when he was quite young. And do you know what she died of? Tell me what she died of. She died of sepsis from a carbuncle. That's blood poisoning, isn't it? Yeah, sepsis. From a carbuncle that Jackie as a child lanced. He lanced it for her. Yes, and in effect killed his own Ugh. mother. That's a terrible story, isn't it?
0: It is a terrible story, but that's a tough life. it wouldn't be able to afford to just go down and see a doctor, I suppose.
1: Well, if you talk about a tough life, at the age of 14 or 16 or so, he was hustling pool in the local pool halls, but he finally scored a job as a comic MC. Because his great forte, and we saw that in The Honeymooners, was insulting people. He had a great voice. A lot of his performances, certainly in The
0: Honeymooners, involved him bellowing at his poor, long-suffering wife, Alice.
1: And thank goodness she was a feisty one and could, could, she could give as good as she got. Oh, she had it all over her uh, rather bullying husband. But can you imagine Jackie in his nightclub act? Hey, you, you know, you, you go to the cinema, you talk back to the screen, sit down. <laughs> You must have been something before electricity, all that sort of stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, What am I saying, a tough early life? He was a
0: bit of a drinker too, wasn't he? Oh, he's a
1: wild man. Yeah, he had a reputation as a bit of a a wild party man. As his fame grew and his wage packets grew accordingly, he was known for all-night parties in hotel rooms, and his very close friends used to say very often that the fat man will never make it. Did they mean he
0: wasn't going to make it in showbiz or he wasn't going to make it any further in life because of his
1: lifestyle? I think most definitely they meant that he was one of the live hard, die young types, although he didn't die young at all and he went on to have a very successful career. His first big break was The Life of Riley and you were telling me off-air that you actually know about this show. I remember very vaguely as a child watching The Life of Riley
0: with my dad. It had an animated beginning of a little guy running who was late, tearing through hallways and opening doors and dropping his hat and his shoes were undone. That was Riley
1: himself. That was Jackie Gleason. So the hapless everyman that he became in The Honeymooners. There was always Dagwood Bumstead as well. There's plenty of comedy in that whole desperation thing, isn't there? Yeah, he's drawn on his own experience. The pressure and the frustration. The Life of Riley, he hosted the Cavalcade of Stars, which was sort of a review show, and he would do little comedy acts in between. And the other really interesting thing about him, he was a major musician. He was. He had his own orchestra. Loved music. And he actually went on record as saying he wanted to make musical wallpaper, the sort of thing we look down our nose at, at... Elevator Music, Muzak, he wanted to make that. And his album, Music for Lovers Only, it still holds the Billboard record for the longest album in the charts. But he didn't write or read music, he used to hum a tune, he'd get some lackey to transcribe it, and there'll be the next Jackie Gleason hit on his next album. Great talent, natural talent. Apparently he could pick a bum note out of an orchestra in full flight. I've never been able to pick a bum note out of an orchestra. I We've mean, got very good orchestras here. I was just going to say, they all sound as equally as bad. You're always cynical about orchestras. Anyway, as he became richer and richer and he had more clout in the entertainment world, CBS actually paid for his New York mansion. They bought him a mansion. And on that subject, Will, he finally relocated from New York to Florida because he wanted to spend more time in the sun. And this could be you and seventeen friends or family when you book a secluded beachside cabana at the Righty Ho caravan park and convention centre. I've just it's- got a I've just got to
0: butt in here, I'm sorry. It's the infomercial. I know, but I'm butting in because this has just arrived. Yes. Yes. We have a message from our former sponsor of the show. This is not sounding good. Go on. on. I think you and I are big thinkers, aren't we? We're forward planners. Would that be right? We're innovators. We see the long picture. We can see the game. Yeah, we see the whole story. Yeah, well, Soup to nuts. Unfortunately, the Rye Ho Caravan Park and Business Centre in Rye mm-hmm. don't live up to that themselves. They are very short-term thinkers because it seems after our initial advertisements for their holiday specials, yes. they have exercised their contractual right to withdraw further sponsorship of this
1: show. Well, the sponsorship didn't really amount to much in the first place,
0: did it? It wasn't. It was a new serpentine belt for your Ford. And very handy. It was a Phillips Road Atlas, second-hand. Which we gave to Cliff. Cliff's got it now, has he? He has. So good good luck trying to to get that back. Well, because we note that they have requested the return of the Road Atlas, and we've passed that request on to management. It it seems that they have fully booked their cabanas For all of January through to the long weekend because of our advertisements, and they see no further value in continuing the sponsorship deal with us.
1: Well, wait until winter, that's all I can say to them. They'll be back knocking on the door, won't they? It's exactly what we've been talking about. Don't come crawling back before Easter looking for more bookings. Yeah, well, I was never that impressed with their live towel swapping and dropping names in a KFC bucket nailed to the front gate. Why don't we go back to something happier, Jackie Gleason. We'll just finish up on Jackie Gleason here just quickly run through some of his accomplishments. He was very involved in live TV drama, some very serious plays. William Soroyan's The Time of Your Life. He was nominated as Best Supporting Actor for his role as Minnesota Fats in The Hustler. Remember that one? Oh, with Paul Newman. Yes, I do. He's played world-weary sergeants, a mute janitor in a film called Zhigo. Is that right? *Gigot*. And you've seen this film, you I've played. seen the film.
0: Jigo is a crude nickname for this poor mute character, and I think it means a leg of mutton.
1: Oh, dear. Well, it says here that he was a mute janitor who rescues a prostitute and her daughter. Not really top box office stuff, you would think, but
0: it was great. He didn't speak a word in the movie, but he acted, and it was in French, of course. Well, that was very handy
1: because he couldn't speak a word of French. It was very clever. He actually wrote and produced that whole thing. But before we bring this story on Jackie Gleason to a close, we do have to mention probably his most famous role to all our listeners there, and that was as Buford T. Justice in the Smokey and the Bandit series. <laughs> Burt Reynolds refused to sign until Jackie Gleason played. That that sheriff because he knew he would add so much to those movies finally jackie interest had a great interest in the paranormal and ufos and i think he would have loved that story we did in show one about the lost cars of bangham i think you're right all right well that's enough on jackie gleason coming up a story about one of the great crackpots of history so swan yes have you ever heard of harold claymore Well, I have quite recently when I mentioned him from a handwritten note of yours at the top of the show, but no. Do
0: you know anything about Harold Claymore? Obviously not. Was he the inventor of the
1: Claymore mine? No, he
0: may well be related. Harold Claymore was an eccentric engineer whose specialty was in surveys, uh, large-scale surveys. He came out to Victoria in the 1850s as part of a British survey team to survey the coast of Victoria.
1: Well, I've read some books on this. They used the chains and the triangulation, that sort of thing? All the standard stuff. They used uh, mathematical tables and
0: very standard, but uh, Claymore was uh, quite different. He had a completely different view of landscape, a different view of, of surveys and how they should be conducted. He was much more closely related to the earth. He... He actually went off on his own and abandoned his mission, uh, much to the disgust of the British, but continued the job on his own, on this coast, particularly between Cape Shank and Point Nepean. And he lived in the bush. He invented his own machines. He took a cart with
1: him. But don't they just... I mean, these machines, as you refer, they're they're there, the chains and the links and the... Well, that's what everyone else used. But he, he
0: took a huge roll of paper. It must have been kilometers long. It was a really heavy roll of paper. It was attached to a cart that was pulled by a donkey. And uh, he used the paper for doing rubbings of the rocks and various formations around the peninsula along this stretch, which is about, in the old language, it's about 20 miles. So I guess it's about 30 kilometers or 35 kilometers long.
1: So you say he's making some kind of topographical map in full scale of the peninsula? In, In actual scale. And he invented
0: a machine a lot like a Leonardo da Vinci looking machine.
1: Before we go on with that, I've got to ask the question, why? Well, we'd
0: have to ask Harold Claymore. He was a serious eccentric. You described him as possibly being a crackpot. Yes. That's the attitude that the British government had of him. He was out here with a grant to complete this survey. Somehow, rather, he talked them into continuing the flow of money, meagre as it was. Uh, His perspective machine, which was a large wooden contraption that he built with various moving parts which he would set up on a large wooden tripod at various points along the peninsula and allowed him to draw directly from this machine in true perspective. What do you call that sort of perspective? Well, it it is.
1: You could... I'm back in... Single point perspective. Yeah, back in the Renaissance, they used to do the, the, Mm. the vanishing point
0: perspective. That's the one. And his machine... Actually, you know the Antipodes bookshop in Sorrento? I do. I've been to not many openings there. Well, they have an art gallery at the back, and it was about 10 years ago, I think, there was, they had an exhibition of some of the remaining rubbings and drawings of Claymore's. And there was a part of this perspective machine there uh, set up as an exhibit. It was extraordinary. There'd be piles of these bits of paper. The, the paper must have weighed tons, and by the t- I think he cut them up into what you'd call uh, five metre strips, that which is probably um, twenty feet or whatever it is in today's in, in yesterday's language, and they were piled up, and he he built various shelters along the
1: coast. He did survey the entire coast. So somewhere in a room there is a full scale rubbing of the southern tip of this peninsula. There's parts of it
0: remaining only. A lot of it's been
1: destroyed by moisture and by just the air, and it wasn't a very good quality paper, of course. I'm starting to think some of these single sheets in isolation would be very attractive as a wall hanging. The
0: the ones that we saw at Antipodes in that show were Mm -hmm. beautiful, and he didn't have beauty in mind, but he needed to record the exact detail
1: of what he was walking on. I'd like to know exactly what he had in that crackpot mind of his. So You're saying he had a grant. How did he live? Um, Well, he
0: lived in the bush. He was basically ostracised by the survey group that were camped near Sullivan's Cove on the other side on the bay. Uh, He he moved off. They didn't see him for months at a time. He lived in the bush. Mad hell, they used to call him. He completely mad. (laughs) You know, he... um, he made a three-dimensional model of the peninsula from Cape Shank to Point Nepean. Not in full scale, I might add, but it was, I think it was about 16 feet long, which is enormous. It would have taken 10 people to carry it. And he made an exact replica, a scale replica, using the ground-up horns and hoofs of cattle from the peninsula to make a, a paste which he mixed with the sand and dirt of the peninsula that he was walking from to make a kind of a paste. You and I would just go and get plasticine or
1: plaster of Paris. He made his own in the bush. Well, I'm starting to assume that he grabbed his own cows without the farmer's permission as well. Probably, because there were early settlers here that
0: ran cattle, famous names like the Sullivans and the Stringers. and Right. Mad, Mad Hell the Cattle Duffer. He may have been a cattle duffer. He didn't need much of the glue, but he. Uh, part of that original 3D model was at the Antipodes show. And when you see it, it had notations at probably every couple of centimetres along the entire length of
1: it each referring to a piece of paper, which was a rubbing. And he went on. Now, you were saying that he had something to do up in Sorrento about some rocket brigade or something. He got sick. He was out on his own and he he got sick.
0: He went into Sorrento, which was a very small settlement at the time, um, to get some help. And he left his, all his gear out there on the back beach in the bush there. And the hanging bits of beef from the trees. <laughs> Presumably, yeah. Living on meat, he probably had a vitamin deficiency. He went into Sorrento and um, although he was ostracised by his survey team from, from England, the, fraternity. the local residents of Sorrento, and there weren't many, were ra- became rather fond of Claymore because he was quite a good raconteur. They took a shine. He was an eccentric, and when he tried to explain what he was doing, they thought it was hilarious, but they looked after him. And as he got better, he became more involved in some of the community activities around Sorrento, one of which I think we're going to refer to later, possibly, in our
1: archive. No, we're going to talk about it now. Let's we're... talk about it now. The Sorrento Rocket Squadron. Do you know what that is? Well, I mentioned it at the top of the show. You've mentioned it before. I don't know what the Sorrento Rocket Squadron was. Well, Claymore became a, one of the first members of the
0: Sorrento Rocket Squadron. Their job was to fire reasonably large rockets at ships that were in the process of being wrecked along the back beach, rocky back beach shore here. And they would fire a rocket over the rigging that carried a lightweight line And that line would allow those poor souls on board to to pull out towards them a much larger hawser, which they could make fast to the rigging, which was then um, had tension applied to it from the shore. And people escaping the wrecking ship could actually go hand over hand through the surf on these lines. It seems extraordinary.
1: So you're going down out there at the heads and someone's firing a rocket at you you think, what fresh hell is this? <laughs> what fresh hell indeed. All this, and now they're firing rockets at me. And ha- ha- mad hell, as I'm calling him, what role did he play in this? Well, sculpture? he had extraordinary eyesight because he was so used to uh, uh,
0: working his perspective on the perspective drawing machine uh, that he developed an intense ability to focus his eyes. And he naturally took the role of the person who sighted the rocket tube So that they weren't going to hit the ship they
1: needed to go well above the rigging and lay this line across the ship and you said he did this unaided without use of binocular or any other instrument no he did it unaided the the normal the captain of the rocket squad would be down on one
0: knee and he had two assistants and they would literally physically sight along the rocket tube there'd be the wick man (laughs) The the wick man, of course, yeah, Yeah, that had a wick. And uh, Claymore, of course, was able to cite this thing using his method of perspective, his unique method of perspective, and he saved them a lot of time and they became far more accurate as a result. And whatever happened to mad hell Claymore? Well, I think he went back to England. I think my tracing of Claymore is that he went back to England, sadly, and his work was never properly recognised and he died pretty much as a pauper. They all seem to die as
1: paupers, don't they, in these Victorian tragedies? They do. Matthew Flinders was the same. Well, that's extremely interesting. And all that fire, rocket and brigade business puts me in mind of the Kunming Marine Safety and Fireworks Company. Because with all the madness of Christmas and New Year's behind us, it's time we sat down in the boat well, popped on a PFD and stocked up on some safety equipment. And where better to do that than at the Kunming Marine Safety and Fireworks Company at Bangholm? Well, listeners might be tired of me banging on about the Jackbanger No. 18 acoustic safety alert with the patented waterproof wick, but I need to get this important message out there. The Jack Banger No. 18 acoustic, acoustic can be heard for 12 nautical miles, and to anybody, that's a shipload of help, I'm over here. Because of the attendant hearing loss, Kunming CEO and Chief Developer Kelvin Chang has asked that the acoustic be only ever a measure of last resort, because as you know, it's not a flare, it's not a skyrocket, it's, it's not, not a toy. toy. But if you need saving more than you need half your hearing, the Jackbanger is the one. The Jackbanger number 18 acoustic, it's not a toy. So,
0: Swanee, yes, this business about the McCubbin painting has become a bit of a runaway
1: train. It most certainly has. I don't
0: think we've ever had more feedback uh, in any subject. More, or a more hotly debated topic. No, it is indeed. Uh, would you remind the listeners about what this is?
1: Just w- I was just about to do that. You might remember... Back in show one, we, we recounted a newspaper story about a house dresser, somebody that stages houses for real estate agents. She found this painting in an op shop. It was noticed by a very erudite agent who took it then to the NGV, to the art uh, Australian Art Curator, and there's some credence to this. It may well be a lost McCubbin. Everyone's got an opinion on it, it seems. apparently. Ownership claims are burgeoning by the And it's
0: not just ownership, it's authentication, it's ownership, it's contract of sale. There's some pretty complicated legal issues at stake. We're not experts, we should remind the listener, we're just the skeleton crew here.
1: I don't think we need to remind the listener that we're <laughs> not experts. But we do have expert people at our disposal. and well, well, very luckily, we're connected to an expert that they, in fact, independent they, they contacted. For the, on this very subject of authentication, isn't it? Our right? own Dr. Gabe North uh, yes. is an art conservator herself. She is currently at a conservators' conference in Vienna. Where, is that in Germany or Austri- Austria? Austria. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Hitler thought it was in Germany. It or, was one and the or same or in, the, in the good old days, wasn't it? She's
0: over there. She's working on another project. But when I contacted her, it's interesting that she had already heard about this Scandal. We'll call it a scandal. So they copped a whiff of it over there? They have. Well, it's in the conservators, uh, I guess it's in their way of life and their way of work. They speak to each other, and the words got to her already. She hasn't seen the picture, she told me. She's seen photos of the painting, and they have actually contacted Dr Gay because she did, as they used to say, she did her time on McCubbins when she was studying... uh, conservation and art materials and techniques at the NGV when she got her qualifications. I imagine it's caused a bit of a
1: ripple over there in Osterreich.
0: Yeah, a ripple. Great interest. If you're a conservator and and an unknown painting pops up, and of a famous Australian artist, one that you have studied
1: closely in your training. Of course, she's very excited. She's yeah. looking forward to coming back. you jump right in. So how does a conservator go about investigating scientifically a painting's authenticity? Well, Gabe and I talked about
0: this on some of the regular Arts About shows on the Profound Thread, but mm. she, sent, she has sent me a note. It's all we could do. I couldn't get her on the telephone. I said well I'll ask you the following questions and I did put some questions to her. She mentions that the x-radiography that they do, they take photos with an x-ray and this particular McCubbin should show evidence of underpainting or line drawing because that was the way of McCubbin. He was a uh, drawing teacher and he always drew first so when they do the x-radiography, on this painting, if there is no line drawing under there, then it's more likely to be a replica or
1: a fake or an imitation. So not not a not slapdash, Fred at all. Sketch it up first. He was, yeah, he was a drawing teacher,
0: and he always drew on the canvas. Yes, I'm just getting my spectacles here to have a good
1: look at that. Yeah. He on. also,
0: he also, interestingly, in her words, changes his mind a lot while he's working. She, this is a personal note she said that uh, he like you was also a sting and would recycle canvases on previous works
1: that's a bit harsh i wouldn't call you a sting
0: i know she's a little harsh i know what she means though never a wasted canvas and if he wasn't particularly happy with a work or it, it uh, he wasn't able to complete a work
1: more than likely he would reuse that canvas and start a new work Fraught with peril. The lovers of McCubbin would think, oh, what a waste.
0: Just- and speaking of being stingy, yes. he didn't like to use too much paint, apparently. He was very well known for his economy of brush strokes, according to Dr. Gabe. If the painting looks overly worked, she says she would be cynical about its authenticity.
1: Mm. We haven't seen this painting. We've only seen pictures Well, we've of seen pictures, and we might remind people that the Hayricks of Hastings has three what I described as forlorn hayricks in a field. I think you talked about the demeanour of yeah. the hayricks
0: and we we even had comments, feedback from our listening audience about whether or
1: not a hayrick can have demeanour. Or Don't whether in fact the word is hayrick. In fact it is. You can yeah. have a haystack and a hayrick. Basically they're the same thing. The same thing. We covered that last
0: week. Yes. Um, she talks about McCubbin the drawing teacher. There's no underdrawing. Or what we call... Pentimento. Oh, she's shish. You know she speaks <coughs> fluent Italian, of course. And pentimento means a change of mind. It's a conservator's term for someone that will paint, uh, lay a layer painting out, and then have a change of mind later, perhaps several of them, and overpaint part of it so that there'll be parts of the painting that are underpainted
1: with. Uh, variations on that scene. Sorry, I'm just a little distracted. I'm just trying to work that into everyday conversation. <laughs> like, Brendan, uh, me, or pe- is it? Pentimento. Pentimento.
0: Yeah, you can order a Quattro Pentimento pizza at Doc's in Mornington. Yeah, or halfway know. through, it's cooking. You could say to yeah, I've fella, changed hey, my mind. Hey, pe- Pentimento. Yeah, I've changed my mind. I'll have the one with the mushrooms. Anyway, the, uh, the other thing that she... <sighs> harped on about and mm. this is where it's going to get quite critical is the what they call the painter's palette every painter has their own particular palette yeah. of colors and where they get their colors from and interestingly the national gallery of victoria owns the mccubbin palette they they have rights over the the list of particular paints that he used uh, so she's suggesting that pigment analysis will be essential to see if it is consistent
1: Uh, with his usual pigments well um, I hasten to say that should sort it all out because you know what these controversies can turn into but it sounds pretty conclusive well
0: they can make imitation wine you know Penfolds Grange and stuff I don't see why they can't imitate pigments but apparently McCubbin was famous for his ivory black
1: Mm -hmm. ultramarine excuse me ivory black isn't that a oxymoron well you'd think so but it was called ivory black I think it had a It had
0: a gleam, almost a uh, mother of pearl effect to it, much the same as freshly chopped ivory has. Sorry, I interrupted. Anyway, ultramarine, Prussian blue, red lead, lead white, lead yellow, and the very bright yellow that he used was called barium yellow. I question Barrier, on That's that. right. That's that radioactive substance
1: that you swallow.
0: They they make you drink it, don't yeah. they, and then take photos of your guts. Yeah. I wonder yeah. what he died of in that case. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure, but a lot of these were fairly toxic um, colours, toxic chemicals and... and and the ingredients we use to make these colours, crimson lake was another one that was
1: is most associated with uh, McCubbin. Well, you just slap it on the canvas and you've got an instant crimson lake. Crimson haven't? lake, pretty much. A bit yeah like street. And look, while you've been going on about all that business, John Baird from Arts About. Yes, the real Arts About. Arts About full strength. He's texted me and he said here. He's, he's, he's definitely on the con side. He says, Mr. McCubbin was very well known during his life and career as an artist, which poses a couple of problems. First of all, anyone who owned a McCubbin was likely to know exactly what it was, making the op shop business unlikely. Mm. So he's saying that most people know what a McCubbin... I would say most people don't know what a McCubbin looks like, John. Secondly... He said McCubbin had plenty of imitators who would have been very familiar with his work, so there might be a lot of. But this business from Gabe about the very particular style and palette would—you tend to—you'd you, sort the wheat from the chaff pretty easily, wouldn't you?
0: John's response is more an emotional one, and I think Gabe has given us Doctor Gabe has given us a much more scientific view of how they will authenticate this
1: picture. Yeah, John's known for his tempered outrage. <laughs> and I don't <laughs> mean. I mean, tempered. It's a quiet form of outrage. It is. And, of course, he often talks about the
0: swing tag factor in art. And, of course, that's what this is all about, the price, what's it worth. I said to Dr. Gabe, surely the frame and the stretcher and the canvas would give it away. And she said, no. Um, Her words were that McCubbin was all over the shop. No consistency in his canvases, his stretchers or his framing. Once again, I guess he's picking up materials
1: at cost. And once again, Arts About Light is a font of information. And I think that this scandal is bound to continue. On this day. Well, once again, nothing of significance has happened on this day in history. However we've I? been able to find out. No, you? well, not that I, Well, we've been let down by our research, possibly. But something very significant is actually happening on this day, I'll tell you, Well, Correspondence. Correspondence, once we'll again. probably get some time to look yeah, at Yeah, there's a certain lack of happiness in one of them. And another one is completely mystifying. What's that one? Well, this is from Fay Croft in Montmorency, of all places. Right. Yeah, I don't even know where that is. I think it's up in the hills somewhere. I heard your very interesting advertisement and may be interested in a short-term holiday rental in Banghome. What? It is Banghome near the beach. Would Well, short answer, no. Would someone from your agency please contact me on this number? That's well,
0: exactly what I'm talking about. It's exactly what we're talking about. People aren't listening. No. We talked about Banghome. It had nothing
1: to do with rentals. We're not a real estate agency. We're not the middlemen. It's all about paying attention. When we mentioned Bang Home, it was about a very scary ghost story about lost cars. Anyway, Faye, I think uh, you've got your wires crossed. Yes. She's given us a mobile number there. Yeah, well, we might call that later and give her a piece of our mind. But this one here... What else have we got? Well, this is very serious. It's got the raised letterhead of a law firm. It says, It's a cease and desist letter from lawyers on behalf of the lower peninsula ratepayers association dear oh dear it's just another one of those legal fruppery things demanding that we do not besmirch their reputations and it was all about this pt barnum story we did this coppen fellow and they're they're confusing our coppen barnum comparison with that we're talking about prominent landowners, that were entirely different story. No, makes. the comments we made about this
0: sort of buffoonery yeah. and sh- uh, probably a certain amount of charlatanism of uh, George Coppin, we're not directed at any of today's
1: landowners. We just pointed out a few of their houses. Once again, as the lady used to say, I hope you're paying attention. You're just not listening. Pay attention, ambulance chasers. Yeah, you've got all your lawyers up in arms. And as we know, lawyers are the ones that get what's coming to them. No, what is it? Your no, lawyer's the guy that gets what's coming to you. Yeah, that's it. That's him. I knew we'd get there somewhere. You yeah, know, they've got it all wrong. We'll stand by our comments. Absolutely. Yeah, that one goes in the Put bin. That that in the bin.
0: But now it's time to take a peek into the archive.
1: Well, Will, we've got a very special treat for our listeners now. We'll be crossing very soon to the Blue Scope Studio for a very special live performance. But until they're absolutely ready, I'm going to put you on the spot. I challenge you, sir, to tell me something interesting that you found in our archive. Well, this is the archive section, and I've had a think about it in the couple of seconds that
0: you've given me. I want to link two very significant events that happened down here at the business end of the peninsula, the Panhandle, right down at the porty end. The pointy end. The pointy end, that's right. You've heard of Harold Holt? Of the, course. The Prime Minister that disappeared. Do you know where he disappeared from? Cheviot Beach. Cheviot. I, I also know he was a very racy fellow, a very bit of a dude. He was, he was a bit of a lad, and he lived half the time in Porty. Uh, Well known for partying hard and he was on the beach at Cheviot Beach and he was in the company of another man's wife, which was a bit scandalous at the time because it was believed that they may be having an affair. Scandalous, I'm sure. Doesn't surprise me, though. No, not really. Uh, Look, he went to the beach that day. He was showing off. They'd had lunch in, in kind of a swinging place portsy in those days that had lunch gone to the beach and i think he was showing off a little bit and he decided to go in the water and go for a swim on a really rough day with a sour wind he went out a little way disappeared and never, was never seen again i thought he went skin diving but did he just sort of he was just swimming he went out for a swim in his undies right.
1: do you know why he was on the beach that day well he was in the company of another woman isn't that enough well i suppose it could be for some people He was down there to witness the lone
0: sailor, Alec Rose, later to become Sir Alec Rose, who was the first man ever to sail solo, unassisted, non-stop around the world. And he came in quite close to the peninsula that day and Holt had gone down there to see if they could spot him, go past.
1: I I always thought that was
0: Chichester that did that. I think Chichester stopped a couple of times. He did sail around the world on his own, but I don't think it was non-stop. So Alec was non-stop, but he took the time to zip into the bay. Well, I think it was irresistible for him because he'd come around Cape Otway. The next Cape he had to go round was Wilson's Promontory, and it was a little deviation to the left, maybe 20 or 30 miles
1: north, to be able to pass the entrance to the Heads. Unlike the Cape of No Return for poor Harold, look, they are signalling rather frantically from the studio there, Will. Before we go, big thanks to the Kunming Marine Safety and Fireworks Company and Bang Home. Uh, They've been great to us. And it's been a pretty good show. I think
0: it's been a pretty good show and um, I don't know if we're coming back next week or not. I hope we are. It's hard to judge. We
1: had a good time. I think we're almost set to go yeah i'm really curious to see what's going to happen in there well they've all been inspired by our example they've they've come in they've put
0: they've stepped up haven't they they have we're not the only people that have rolled up our sleeves apparently management have rolled up their sleeves and have put something very special together in honor of the
1: arts of our light team yeah it makes us feel very special that they've come to help us when we're out here in our little tin shed now steve's told me what to do Apparently, I've just got to press this button right here. Uh, Man, those cats were cooking. How was Toots Telfer and Thunder Thumbs Vigas on that Fender P bass, man? Fantastic. Who would have thought that there was so much talent at R Double P and that it's so well hidden? So well hidden, you have to spend half the day looking for it. Look, uh, quickly, we have to thank Brendan and the gang for that fantastic uh, happening sort of chops-filled gesture And thank you to the regular Arts About crew for having us and allowing us to fill in. Yep, we hope to be back. Uh, Send in your letters and SMS the station if you agree with us. We'd like to come back. Or if you know how to SMS. So it's a big uh, see you later till next summer. Yep, we'll see you next time we see you.